If you could, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. I know that what we've been going, uh, we've been in the last month or so has been uh, a devotional called The Upside Down Life. Uh, I've been watching the live streams uh, on Facebook Live, uh, keeping up with uh, the studies that everybody is in or should be in. So Pastor Steve had called me and he said, listen, you know, you're coming August 4th, would love to have you preach and it's up to you, uh, but we're in this, in this series and I would, I would love to stay in the series, would you mind? I said, if you don't want to, I was like, we could, you know, we can have one of our other pastors. Uh, uh, and I said, there's no way I'm turning down an opportunity to preach at Bethlehem. I said, so I'll preach whatever you want me to preach. You just... Tell me what part of the Bible you want, and, and I'll bring it, all right? So uh, we're going to stay in the series of the Upside Down Life. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. The scripture that has been chosen for me today it states like this. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall shall obtain mercy. The title of my message tonight, today is The Mercy I Need. The Mercy I Need. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that 2,000 years ago you had our Savior come not just to die but to live, to minister to us, give us instruction, lay it out. We thank you, Lord, that 2,000 years later that you continue to raise up people to minister this word, that the gospel continues to go out throughout the world. And I pray that there would be nothing less than that here this morning. I pray that as soil is prepared for seed, so would our hearts be prepared for your word today. I pray that any distraction that would come against the ministering of your word, that you would take your strong right hand against it. In Jesus' name, Lord, I subject my mind's my thoughts, my mouth to you, Lord God, and I ask that you use it in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This, this statement comes out of one of the most famous or the most famous sermon that was ever preached by Jesus. We know that this was the opening, uh, part of the opening of his ministry if you look in your Bible, I'm sure it's labeled the Beatitudes. I'm not really sure that Jesus called it the Beatitudes, but we have called it the Beatitudes. Uh, the first 12 verses of Matthew. And when we look at this portion of Scripture, it's, it's somewhat of the Magna Carta or the Constitution of the New Testament and the New Testament church. It's probably somewhat equal to the New Testament as what the Ten Commandments were to the Old Testament. Jesus is, is opening his ministry and he's laying out this upside-down life, this upside-down kingdom to a group of people, to his followers. And the audience that he's speaking to, if you look in the chapter prior in, ch in chapter 4, it says that his disciples followed him the only disciples that were called at that point were four fishermen. The 12 had not been all appointed yet. But in that group of men and women that were following him, not only were there fishermen, but there was this great group 
of sick and lame people, people with diseases and tormented. There was beggars, demon-possessed people, epileptics, and paralytics. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was trying to pick a group of people to start something off, that wouldn't be the group that I would minister to first. That wouldn't be my, my, my team that I would pull together to follow me. But how many people know that God always does things differently than what we would imagine him to do? And what God says is precious and what God says important doesn't always line up in what man finds precious and man finds important. So the audience that Jesus chooses to release this dynamic sermon to, this, this epic portion of scripture is to four fishermen, a bunch of sick and lame people, diseased people, tormented people, beggars, demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. Wow. You would think that he would have chose a more promising group. See, this group was used to not be, was never used to be considered blessed. They were actually the unblessed. And they have this man ministering uh, this, this upside down kingdom about a way of a blessed life when all they have known is pain, despair, hurt, and lack. And yet Jesus chooses them to preach about this blessed life. See, they were used to the, to, to, to the kingdom of the Roman Empire where they taught that blessed were people of rank, people with authority, people with prestige and honor. They were taught that people were blessed, overpowered their enemies, and held their head up high and walked, and that's what they knew to be blessed. But here Jesus comes in and he's preaching about a blessing on a group that has everything else but blessing. I'm sure in some ways they found this so very puzzling. And then in other ways, they find it, probably found it kind of intriguing. So let's go back to the text. Mercy. What is mercy? The definition of mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone in whom it is in with one's power to punish or harm. It's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone in whom it is in with in one's power to punish and harm. Who needs mercy? The Bible declares in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it follows it up in Romans chapter 6, 23. And it says that the, the wages of sin is death. So whether we know it or not, whether we're humble enough to admit it, we all need mercy. We all need God's mercy. What does God's word say about mercy? Here, here's a few things. In Psalms 86, 5, it says, For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call out. So God is ready to give mercy for those that will call out. Psalms 145 verse 8 and 9 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all 
and his tender mercies are all over his works. So God is gracious to give mercy. Ephesians 2 forces, but God, who is enriched in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us. So God's mercy is motivated out of love. It's because he loves us that he shows us his mercy. In Titus 3.5, it, it says a reason why we don't get mercy. It says, not by works of righteousness or what we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us through the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So it's not by our works. We haven't done anything to deserve mercy. In fact, the moment that you try to do something to deserve mercy, it no longer becomes mercy. So mercy is not predicated on your behavior. It's not predicated on your, your decision. It's predicated on God's behavior 2,000 years ago on a cross, a bloody cross, Calvary. And it's predicated on his love and mercy for his people. In fact, the only prerequisite for mercy is the need of mercy. If you think that you can earn mercy, then it becomes a wage, not mercy. So the, the only prerequisite for mercy is the need of mercy. Do I have anybody under the sound of my voice that's ever needed mercy? Have you ever been in a place where you cried out to God? Have you ever been in a place where the situation and the circumstance had you in a place where you even felt like being punished, that you deserved it, but yet God in his great mercy. A couple things that I learned about mercy in this portion of Scripture in my studying, one of the most popular stories of God's mercy and a picture of mercy it's found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. I'm going to read it all. No, just kidding. We'll do a real Bible study. Story of Joseph. Joseph has a dream that he's going to be blessed. He actually has a dream that there's, there's, there, there's, there's stalks of wheat. And he, he's one of the stalks of wheat, and then there's other stalks of wheat, and, and, and the stalks of other stalks of wheat bow to the other. And his dream was that one day that he was going to lead. And God gave him a word that, 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 that he was going to be important and that he was favored. And he began to tell his brothers about this dream that he'd been having. And his brothers became jealous and envious. And they purposely took him and they threw him in a pit. And he wound up being sold into slavery from his own blood, his own flesh, from his own brothers. And he begins to serve Potiphar as a servant, as a slave. And he does such a great job and he gains so much favor as God begins to bless him and he be, begins to become faithful in with, with the opportunity that stood before him. And Potiphar gave him rule and reign over all of his things. And Potiphar's wife comes and she lies on him and says that he tried to, to sleep with her and 
he runs out and she has his garment on uh, in his hand. As he was running, she tore it. And he gets thrown in jail and he goes to jail and he still remains faithful. And he, he begins to interpret dreams in jail and he be, begins to be faithful in, in, in the circumstance, in the situation he was in. Because when God calls you to be faithful, it doesn't mean if you're, whether you're in the palace or whether you're in a jail cell, whether, whether where, what side of the tracks you live on, or it doesn't matter what neighborhood you're from, what family you're from. God has called you to be faithful in the spot, in the place that you are at. And he's faithful and he's blessed. And he uses his gifts to serve the people. And he becomes one of the highest in command under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has much favor on him and he blesses him and he, he gives him control over things. And Joseph, in his all his wisdom, he begins to hear that there's, and perceives that there's going to be a famine. So he begins to save and save and put things to the side and be uh, 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 intelligent and smart in his business dealings, preparing for a famine. And then there's a great famine in Canaan and Egypt. And his family is part of that famine. And his family comes to him and they're before Joseph. And when they first come before him, they don't even know who he is because God's blessing and God's grace on his life will sometimes change everything about you, even your looks. Will look different. Look at pictures of me from 11 years ago. The grace of God will even change your outward appearance. People won't even be able to recognize you. And they look at Joseph and they see they see that he has the power to bless them or the power to curse them. And they're expecting Joseph to retaliate and have revenge on them for throwing them in a pit. For the last 14 years of his life, being in jail cells and being, being a servant. And yet when he has the opportunity to punish his family, instead, he blesses them. And that's my first point. Mercy will position you. Because I'm here to tell you today that whatever you release from your hand that God has given you, he will give you more. God will position you. If you make yourself a portal for heaven, if you make yourself a portal for God's mercy, God will put you in a position that you're able to give that mercy out. And guess what? Whatever you have to get it, give out, some of that gets on you. So as, as, as Joseph, is, he's blessed and he has the opportunity to curse and to, to get revenge against his family, but instead he blesses them. And, and mercy positioned him in a place where he had the ability to do that. Because when you make yourself a portal from heaven to earth, God will use your life to, to give what's in his hand to the hands of his people. I love when people say, well, that's man-made stuff, God, you know, that's not God. It's like, who do you think God uses? I'm sorry. Me personally, I've been in the presence of God, and I've sensed his presence, but any time that he wanted to bless me or give me something, he did it through another person. And when you make yourself available to be that person, you become a conduit for God from heaven to earth. Mercy will position you. God is always looking for a person who can be trusted to deliver heavenly resources to earth. Mercy is not given to man 
and seen by man, but never goes unnoticed by God. In fact, man will criticize and ridicule mercy and mistake it for weakness. But I tell you, never is a heart as strong for God as in a time of mercy. The level of mercy you give is a direct proportion to your level of gratefulness for the mercy you have received. You might want to write that down. The level of mercy you give is in direct proportion to the level of gratefulness you have for the mercy that you've received. God will position you. Mercy will position you. Number two of my 17 points. Just kidding. Pastor Tony be throwing me off the platform. Mercy has no limits. We look at the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. We see that a man comes down from Jerusalem. So we, we assume that he's Jewish. and He's going down through Jericho and some thieves come upon him and they beat him and they rob him and they leave him for dead and he's laying on the side of the road and here comes a priest, a man of God, a man of the cloth. And as scripture would testify, he walks on the other side, ignores the man. And then comes a Levite, another man of God, chosen priest, and yet he walks by. It's so easy to get caught up in religious stuff and not do the right stuff. I heard of pastors doing these social experiments where they'll dress up as a homeless person in front of their church on a Sunday. And they'll watch people come by. I would hate to be that person that walked by. But you know, I know in reality, I've been that person that have walked by. Because we get so caught up in the religious things and good things, not bad things. But we forget about mercy and the right thing. See, a merciful heart will see distress. But a merciful heart will not only see distress, but it will respond with compassion in its heart. <clears throat> they'll not only respond with compassion in the heart, but they'll give relief and try to fix the problem. And the greatest thing about mercy is mercy does this in the spite of all the reasons not to. Religion won't stop it. Race won't stop mercy. Political standing won't stop mercy. Financial backing won't stop mercy. Please don't get caught up in doing religion without mercy because it is distasteful to God. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he's saying, all the things that we do in the name of religion and order and protocol it means nothing if we don't have mercy. Because at the root of all of it is that we would be conduits of mercy to his people. See, mercy has no limits. It doesn't stop because someone looks different. It doesn't stop because they come from a different type of people or a different country. The mercy of God continues to be poured out. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. 
My third point as the worship team comes up. Mercy comes again. Mercy comes again. <clears throat> you know, I've been in the ministry of, of Teen Challenge now for 11 years. But it wasn't my first experience with the gospel. As a young boy, growing up in a broken family, dad left when I was, left mom with three. We struggled. <clears throat> my mother remarried. An abusive man came into our life. I was about 10, 11 years old. By 15 years old, I had my first drink. Still going to church, youth group. By 18 years old, I tried hard drugs. Life was unraveling. Family had moved down to Florida. I was still up here in New York where I was born and raised, Long Island. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go down to Florida and get my life together. I'm going to leave all this trouble behind. I was about to be 22 years old. And I went down to Florida, May 31st of 1998. And the very next day, I went, to a, uh, I went to a park. It was on a Sunday morning. And there was a church meeting in a park. And I remember I gave my life to Jesus at that time. I remember as an adult, I just got down there. I was probably in, in Florida for 24 hours. I went down there to get right and do the right thing and stumbled across the service in a park and I gave my life to the Lord and I meant it. I meant it. I was serious. Started going to a little meeting at the park and made some friends and my life began to change. Good things started happening. Got a good job and relationships and family was restored. That lasted for about five years. Then I went, went through a hard time emotionally, had some things happen in our family that were, my family that was traumatic, and I started to slip away. And I would like to think it was a slow fade, but it wasn't, it was quick. Before I knew it, I was first at the bar and club and hanging around with the wrong people and got into selling drugs again, and then what, after a while, it wasn't even selling drugs anymore. I became a full-fledged addict, addicted to crystal meth, crack cocaine, and really anything I get my hands on. But my arms had become pincushions for the devil. Track marks, staying up for a week at a time, out of my mind. I was such in a bad place. I would disappear for six, eight months. My family would have no idea where I was. No idea. I would show up and my mother wouldn't even let me see my sisters, wouldn't even let them put their eyes on me because she was afraid of them seeing me, what had become of my life. I messed up. I'd heard the gospel. I knew God had a plan for my life. I shouldn't be in this place. 2008, a brochure was put in a hand for Teen Challenge in my uncle's hand, and he wound up giving it to me, and he said, listen, would you go? And I said, I'll go anything. 2008, I entered the doors of Teen Challenge. And I was first day there, and I was, I was so ashamed. 
so ashamed and disgusted with my life and the decisions I made because I knew better. Remember, I was in the church. And I sat on a couch, and this, this, this man that was in the program, his name is Matt, I still remember him, sat across, and he saw I had my face in my lap, and I was just depressed and broken. And he said, he said, what's going on, brother? I said, you have no idea what I've done. I said, I have spit in the face of God again and again. I said, I shouldn't be in this place. I shouldn't be here. I knew better. I've tasted and see. I know the Lord is good. How did I get here again? And he said, brother, he said, this house is filled with people just like you. And I picked up my head, and I started to believe again. And you know what? Mercy came again. Mercy came again. Mercy came again. So I don't care what you've done, how far you've gone. God's mercy has no end. And his love for people has no end. You know, what kind of people are merciful? I ask myself that question. Broken people are merciful. How do we become merciful? We get as close to Jesus as we can. And as our hearts are changed by his mercy, we become merciful like him. I don't think that when we go stand before the Father one day, he's going to say, well, I'll be merciful to you, but pull out of your back pocket every time that you've been merciful to people. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, they're mine. And they've been changed in my image, so I already know they're merciful. Because you cannot be like a merciful God or spend time in his presence and not be merciful. You know, the thing about this, what brings it all together, Jesus in the next chapter, where he teaches the Lord's Prayer, he says, when you pray, he says, forgive our debts as we forgive those debtors. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, you know who gets mercy? You know why the, the merciful retain mercy? Because until you experience forgiveness for somebody else, you cannot be forgiven. So why do the merciful attain mercy? Because until you've been merciful and forgiven somebody else, God can't forgive you. He said it, not me. So as we stand today, if you may, stand. I'm not doing this to embarrass anyone. I'm not doing this to make a spectacle. In fact, it's the opposite. Two things. You're sitting out here today. You say, Pastor Paul, I need mercy. I have fallen short again. Maybe you've been in this place before a hundred times. Or maybe this is the first time. 
Say, Lord, I need forgiveness for my sins. I just want you to slip up your hands. We're going to pray real quick. I just want you to slip up your hands real quick. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For those of you that have slipped up your hand, you say, I need forgiveness. And some of you might need to be in both of these. But I would just like you to come stand over here. I want to pray for you just right here real quick. We have a few minutes. I hope. I just want to pray real quick. Not going to be long. You need mercy. He hung on our cross to give you mercy. Mercy. Right here. The other group, this one's a tough one for some. You say, I have to have mercy on somebody else and I'm having a hard time forgiving. Forgiveness and mercy is not always a feeling. A feeling will will generally follow the decision over time. But you may not feel a feeling. But you know in your heart you have unforgiveness and you have to forgive somebody. It's impossible to be spiritually healthy without forgiveness. Forgiveness of your own sins and forgiveness of other people. Impossible. You cannot find me a bitter person or an angry person or an unforgiving person and tell me that they're spiritually healthy. Impossible. Impossible. You say, Pastor Paul, I need to forgive and I need help. I need help. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Just come on this side right here. For those that need mercy, say I've fallen short. But I'm humble enough to admit that I need God's mercy. You know, in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the Lord says, come boldly. You know, and what's so significant about that is if you need grace and mercy, it really doesn't seem like you're in a situation to come boldly anywhere. But see, God beckons us to mercy. And that's how free he is to give mercy. That he says that even though you may not have a right, I'm giving you the right to come to me boldly and ask me for something that I so want to give you. Repeat after me if that's you. Father God, I come before you in Jesus' name, needing mercy. I've fallen short. I've lost my way. I've done things I'm not proud of. Lord, I ask you for forgiveness. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And you rose from the dead three days later. And because of my confession of faith, mercy and forgiveness is my portion today. I don't have to feel guilt no more. I don't have to feel shame no more. I can walk away washed and clean. In Jesus' name. For those on this side, like I said, forgiving people, sometimes we want to feel forgiveness. And we wait to feel like, well, I'm not ready to forgive. Well, forgiveness is an act of, it's, it's an act of your will. 
You don't have to feel like getting up in the morning, but you have the ability to do it. I know when my alarm clock went off at 5 a.m. this morning, the last thing in the world I wanted to do or felt like doing was climbing out of bed. But I did. And sometimes that's what forgiveness is like. It's like a ringing alarm clock in your ear that you know you have to do something. Even sometimes when you don't want to. So today we're going to put all of this in the past. We're going to pray and we're going to forgive. And we're going to begin to be spiritually healthy. Repeat after me. Father God, I come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I believe in the forgiveness that comes from heaven for myself. But I've struggled forgiving others. Today I want to put that in the past. Today I want to do away with that. Today, I want to forgive those that have hurt me, those that have used me, those that have abused me, for those that abandoned me, those that have stolen from me. Today, in Jesus' name, I release them to you, and I walk away from this platform with no baggage on my heart, no bitterness in my spirit, and I leave here a spiritually healthy person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is what we're going to do to close up this morning. A message like this, you have to be able to digest it before you go outside the door. Because the moment you go outside that door, the world will hit you with all kinds of problems and you'll forget everything that was said. Look at me one minute. If you don't give mercy, you will receive no mercy. If you don't forgive, you will receive no forgiveness. And you may say, Pastor, they hurt me. They scarred me for life. They did me wrong. And the God you serve knows that. But he also knows the only way for you to be healed is to do it God's way. When these guys were giving their testimony, the, th the thought that came into my mind is, don't you and I sit here and think, poor guys, look what they're going through. Remember where you came from. Remember that you and I, at one time or another, were broken and bruised and wounded. And the same grace of God that's lifting them up is lifting you up. But listen to me carefully. If you don't do it God's way, you will stay trapped for the rest of your life. And all God wants to do is take you and gracefully do surgery on you. 
He wants to skillfully go into your heart where it's broken and, and take out the bitterness and take out the resentment and take out that hurt that people have done and what people have spoken over you. He wants to skillfully go in and, and cut you open and, and be able to suck that bitterness out of your heart so then He can put you back together. With all the scars to remind you how you were broken and then he wants to send you out to go find like-minded people who were broken just like you because it takes one broken person to know another broken person but he wants to take you and use you to help broken people